Hey everybody, Doug here. This episode of The War on Cars is sponsored by Cleverhood, which makes great rain gear and outerwear for people who walk and bike. Now I was hoping I could stroll around my neighborhood in the rain to demonstrate just how awesome the new Cleverhood Rover rain cape is. Unfortunately, we haven't had any rain lately, so... Yep, that is right. I am standing in my shower. Oh yeah, okay. This thing is working great. Totally keeping me dry, super comfortable, and best of all, my microphone is not getting wet. So check it out. Listeners of The War on Cars can now receive 20% off the purchase of anything in the Cleverhood store. Just visit cleverhood.com slash waroncars, enter code waroncars, all one word, and you will get 20% off. Again, that's cleverhood.com slash waroncars. Enjoy the episode. And then we watched as the other kids were being driven up to, you know, school and really feeling sorry for them in some way because they, you know, they didn't, they didn't know about the experience we had. And one day there was a woman who approached me after I dropped them off and she said, like, and that day it had been sleeting and hail. It was like everything was coming at us. The birds were singing. They were fine. We got up to the top and this woman says, like, you know, every time I see you, I, I, I pray for you. And I looked at her and I said, hmm, you know, actually, I do the same thing for you. And I, I couldn't believe her response. She said, is that because I'm in a box? I said, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to The War on Cars. This is Aaron Napperstack. You know, here on this podcast, we focus mostly on issues related to big cities. And over the years, you know, I've personally had a lot of people ask me, you know, I get that walking and biking and transit are great solutions for places like New York, but, you know, I live in a suburb or a small town or even a rural place. And what can I do to reduce automobile dependence, you know, where I live? And you know, I, I've got a, I've got answers to that. I've got I've got a stock set of uh, responses like you know oh, retrofit suburbia or we need to build out uh, you know passenger rail. But I've often felt like these are not very good answers. It's not there's not there's there's systemic change kinds of answers that individuals can't really deal with on their own. And and, and that I I've generally felt like I don't have great answers for how to win the war on cars outside of big cities. But this summer kind of changed that for me. Uh, I was living in Vermont. My wife and I have owned a house there in the center of this tiny, classic New England village called Newfane since 2013. And with the pandemic and school and work all being online, my wife and two sons and I, we had a chance to spend more time in Vermont than we ever have before. In July, after the governor of Vermont lifted some of the state's public health restrictions, my friend Chad Farnham invited me to play on his men's slow-pitch softball team down in Brattleboro. It's a small city in the southeastern corner of the state. Nice trip, Chad! Now, playing softball is one of my favorite things. Playing softball in the summer, at night, under the lights, in Vermont after four months of COVID lockdown and zero social activity beyond my immediate family, 
That was basically heaven. As the season progressed, and as I got to know my teammates beneath their face masks, I began to notice how people were traveling to practices and games. Vermont is hilly, it's sprawly, it gets cold, it snows a lot, and the roads are very much designed for cars and trucks. Despite all that, a bunch of the guys on this team, say at least five of them, were showing up not in cars, not in huge pickup trucks, but on electric assist bicycles. Like KJ, our deceptively speedy right fielder. Hi, my name is Chris Johnston, and this is my commuter bike. It's a Raleigh, and uh, I use this one whenever I'm going shopping or just kind of getting around town. And is this an electric bike? It is, yeah. It's been retrofitted for electric. Were you using a bicycle before you retrofit this one with an electric motor, or, or not really? No, I didn't really ride before I got an electric bike. It was one of those situations where the, the hills of Vermont, everywhere you go, you're, you're going up a hill. And so I'd go somewhere and I'd be all sweaty and everything. And if I was going to a meeting, you know, maybe I was in nice clothes or something like that. And this really makes the difference where I can just kind of cruise there. And Todd, our trusty first baseman. I was working at a place where it was 10 miles to my office, mostly uphill. And so I would feel kind of, I, I wanted to buy an electric car. I was like, this would be cool if I could make this commute an electric car. You know, use as much battery as I could going uphill, regenerate the battery coming downhill but electric cars are really expensive. So then I saw this bike and I thought, oh man, what if I could, what if I could, it's 10 miles, I could commute on my bike, battery assist. And uh, so that was kind of the, the light bulb that went on in my head. And Andrew, our star pitcher, you know, I, I never actually saw Andrew on his own e-bike. I know he has one, but his wife and daughter showed up to just about every game on one. Uh, my name is Sueno LeBlonde. This is Autumn Rose, five and a half year old bike guru. And this is our minivan, except for that it's actually a two-wheeled electric bicycle, which functions as our minivan. And I have always been a cyclist as a commuter. And then when Autumn Rose came along, I immediately stopped riding my bike, and that was a problem. And... The bike trailers never seemed safe to me, and so I, and there's a lot of electric bikes in town, and I was getting pretty curious. Hey, Autumn Rose, here's my question for you. How do you like riding in the bike compared to riding in a car? Mm, it's better to be on a bike with electric because gas cars and electric cars, they don't use gravity, but actually bikes do. And Usually on the bike, I can feel things. As I started asking around how it came to be that there are so many e-bikes rolling around Brattleboro, Vermont, one name kept coming up. I consulted with Dave Cohen, and he let me try a bunch of different bikes out. He did most of the research for me, and what I would need and what rebates I could get and how, you know, where I could buy it through in town. So it was very helpful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was hearing about e-bikes from Dave Cohen like long before I thought about buying one. This guy, Josh Traeger, he wasn't even on our softball team. He heard I was doing e-bike interviews and he just, he wanted to talk. Dave Cohen is like, he could easily be a psychotherapist if that was ever a PhD material. 
Dave Cohen. Who was this mysterious Johnny Appleseed of e-bikes? Actually, I know Dave. And the fact that everyone was crediting Dave Cohen for getting them into e-bikes was not a big surprise. Dave Cohen is a bike advocacy legend. In Berkeley, California, in the early 1990s, Dave founded the city's first cargo bike delivery service, Pedal Express. Claim to fame? They fought off Federal Express's attempt to force them to change their name. Dave rode in the world's first critical mass bike rides. He helped to launch and build Bay Area bike advocacy projects and organizations that are still active today. Dave, his wife Rachel, and their young son Eli moved to Vermont in 2007, where Dave works as an integrative psychotherapist. In 2010, Dave founded V-Bike, where he has forged partnerships with state government and electric utilities and bike shops to make e-assist bicycles more accessible to Vermonters. Dave is also kind of a philosopher king of bicycling and automobilism, his word. And he's developed a pretty unique view of the impact that the car has on our bodies, minds, communities, and the natural world. So on a beautiful afternoon in mid-August, Dave jumped on his e-bike, pedaled 12 miles up Route 30 from Brattleboro to Newfane Village, a 50-mile-per-hour two-lane state highway, by the way. And he met me outside our house. As per War on Cars protocol, we started the interview with infrared thermometer checks. 97.8. Wait. Oh, 97.3. Yeah, really? Nice and cool. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Let me bring this back. It's <laughs> we don't mess around here. Dave and his family had just returned from a camping trip about 50 miles away from Brattleboro. And of course, I figured, oh yeah, they must have biked there. And that would be a great story to start the interview with. This camping trip you guys just did, did you do that on the bikes? No, no, this time we, we yeah, we used a car. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Was that was that Rachel's insistence, or you 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 all agreed it was car? Uh, we sort of all agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I, I get like you know emotional fallout just myself from from doing it, yeah, from being inside of it. And it's hard for me to even land, um, you know, in a place after I've been in an automobile. Is either I know too much or I'm too sensitive. Huh. Or I what, think I know too much. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's the feeling when you 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 arrive somewhere you know after driving there in a car? Well, you know, I think it's it's something about like you know we're so linear about transportation where we're thinking about getting point A to point B, and then all the places in between are uh, almost like you know they're blunted and they're you know profoundly you know compromised you know as far as our sensory awareness, our ability to kind of know our impact on the world as we're getting there. And that, that bothers the heck out of me. So transportation isn't just about getting from point A to point B? No, transportation is a metaphor. Uh, because they actually, uh, transportation and metaphor are exactly the same words. They both mean to carry over. And, and you know, from studying metaphors and, and looking at the neuropsychology of metaphors, they affect us in our, you know, senses. And then we're in, we've got this emotional experience, you know, we're kind of transformed in our understanding when there's a really good metaphor. And transportation is the same thing. We're using our bodies, uh, we're using our senses, uh, and we're emotionally engaged in the world, hopefully, you know, depending on how, how we're moving on the landscape. Hmm. 
it was a little bit noisy in the center of the village. So to find some quiet, Dave and I walked across Route 30. We hiked up some woods and up a hill to a little pond where I knew there was a bench we could sit on. We'll just cruise down this path and up, I think up to the pond will yeah. be a good spot and it'll be pretty quiet. The soundscape totally shifts here. You know, Isn't it's it? a total different experience. So do you think the the bicycle or bicycle transportation in some way connects you more to the to the natural world? Um, yeah, I mean, one thing I, I li like to throw out a little bicycle heresy, I like to say the bicycle is not green. There's nothing green about it. It's an industrial product. Um, there's metals, paints, um, plastics, rubber, all kinds of greases and lubricants. So there's nothing green about it. What is green is us when we get on it and we use our energy. And so, you know, the, the basic rudiments that I think about are just that we have bodies, um, that we need that in order to move. We have senses so we can know where to go, what direction to go in. And then we have an emotional connection that, that's formed through you know, the combination of our bodies and our senses. And you feel like when you're traveling in a car, you're no longer really a sensing being moving through the landscape? Yeah, there's a question of what kind of being we are. We've become a really kind of a hyper-modified uh, technological organism. You know, human beings, we are modified by our technologies. But in a car, it's vastly different because of the extreme power um, and the sensory, um, almost like sensory deprivation because we're, um, our senses are, are truly blunted. Okay, let's, let's oh go here. Oh my God, this is so fast. This is a nice spot. Holy, you should do all your things. Yeah, take all my interview subjects to the best places. <laughs> We arrived at the pond with a little bench next to it, AKA War on Cars Studio North. And just a heads up, you, you might hear bird and insect sounds in the background. So you feel like the car destroys our experience of the world or our experience of getting from point A to point B and that makes us more destructive? I don't know if you've ever seen um, Motor Mania. Goofy and Motor, motor Mania. It was a, I guess, a Disney thing, you know, it was put out uh, to kind of educate people on how to drive a car, and, you know, how to do it, you know, responsibly. And so it shows you this guy, Mr. Walker, and he was goofy. He's a kindly man, courteous, punctual, and honest. Heard and he walks out of his house. He doesn't even want to step on an ant. He believes in live and let live. You know, he's so careful about everything and he's, you know, very polite. But then he gets into his car. Once behind the wheel, a strange phenomenon. He gets in the car and he becomes Mr. Wheeler. And he's this raging maniac. His whole personality changes. Abruptly, he becomes an uncontrollable monster. Mr. Walker is now Mr. Wheeler, a motorist. He's like crashing into other cars. Watch where you're going, stupid! All kinds of car races going on. 
And then finally he gets, uh, gets to town. Deprived of his protective armor, Mr. Wheeler, motorist, becomes Mr. Walker, pedestrian. And then he becomes Mr. Walker again because he gets out of the car and walks around. He's accosted by all these cars. It's really hysterical. And, and the whole voiceover is really funny. But let this be a lesson, Mr. Wheeler. Drive safely. Play fair. Give the other fellow a break and... Ah, shut up! And, and I think even that, even though they're, they're portraying a real kind of transformation of a human uh, being transformed by this, you know, automotive experience, and then he becomes Mr. Walker, I don't think that's so accurate. I think what happens is we're even affected after we get out of the car. Our whole worldview has shifted um, because, you know, time and space has been crunched. We haven't experienced fully the places that we've passed through in order to get from so-called point A to point B. So so let's get into V-Bike. So I, so just tell me the story about how V-Bike started and what it is and what it's doing. V-Bike, you know, came out of just coming to Vermont and being really depressed. Because <laughs> 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 I was like going like, I thought everybody was going to be like on bikes and totally rugged and outdoorsy. And sure, they, yeah, they go, you know, biking and maybe, you know, skiing. But everybody's in their cars. And I was like, what the fuck, you know? We need a war in cars. Yeah, I said. I hear you. There you go. Oh, so you started the war on cars too, huh? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, I was really upset about like you know, there's the bike culture is just not happening. I mean, we also moved in the, like the noisiest street ever, and I was so, so freaking depressed. I, I couldn't believe we made this move. So Dave and his family moved to Vermont. Their street is too noisy. There's no bike culture in town, and Dave is depressed. And on top of all that, his son is starting a new school, and the school is at the top of a very big hill. So Dave does what anyone would do when they're feeling depressed and they're trying to get themselves out of it. He buys a bicycle, an electric assist bicycle, his first. One of the big issues was this is going to be going up this hill every single day. And it's a significant climb. And it's even when you get to where the sign says Hilltop School, you've got another, like, you know, 300-foot climb or 400-foot climb to go. So we decided, you know, I'm going to find, you know, a bike that, that really works and I ended up getting the Yuba El Mundo. And it was really extraordinary. You know, I was just, like, taken with this thing. And so we start using it for, you know, daily commutes. And before you know it, we're hitting the winter. And then I got studded tires. And so one day it was 20 degrees and there was snow on the ground, a little bit of ice. And we went out and finally there's a day where it's like, you know, three degrees. And Eli and I have kind of perfected the, you know, how to keep things warm, putting our stuff on before we go out while we're eating, you know, breakfast. And we hit critical heat and we get so hot that you have to go outside. And before you know it, we're biking and, you know, three degrees. And then it goes back up to 30 and that feels like a heat wave. <laughs> And, and this entire time, does it never cross your mind like, hmm, I do own a car. I could be driving it up to Hilltop and staying warm and listening to music. And it was just, just like driving the kid to school was just out of the question to you? Oh, totally. I mean, the things that we saw, like, you know, Fox going across Living Memorial Park in the middle of the winter or, you know, seeing like an owl, you know, in the early morning or, you know, experiencing really in the flesh the, the world. And then seeing the change of the seasons is so powerful, you know, up front and close, you know, close to it all. 
And then we watched as the other kids were being driven up to, you know, school and really feeling sorry for them in some way because they, you know, they didn't, they didn't know about the experience we had. And one day there was a woman who approached me after I dropped him off and she said, like, you know, that day it had been sleeting and hail. It was like everything was coming at us. The birds were singing. They were fine. We got up to the top and this woman says, like, you know, every time I see you, I, I, I pray for you. And I looked at her and said, hmm, you know, actually, I do the same thing for you. And I, I couldn't believe her response. She said, is that because I'm in a box? I said, yeah. <laughs> Not only did the e-bike help lift Dave out of his depression, it, it gave him a new mission and a sense of purpose. Yeah, so the start of V-Bike uh, really had so much to do with the Yuba El Mundo, uh, this electric cargo bike. And uh, I was so taken with it. And I'm going like, you know, my, my phrase was, this is so Vermont. We, you know, we've got all the clothing, you know, to go snowmobiling or, or skiing. Why couldn't we just use these things you know, also during the winter? And eventually I, you know, I started to get to know one of the legislators here, Molly Burke. Uh, she's a representative who happens to be on the House Transportation Committee. She's been on that committee for many, many years. And I you know, started talking to her about it, and she was interested, and she said, like, well, why don't you give me a bunch of talking points? So I, I drew up a whole bunch of talking points, why the state should, like, you know, embrace this idea. And so she ends up taking some of these talking points out to different people, and then she brings it to the program director for something called Go Vermont, which is a state alternative transportation agency, uh, part of our agency of transportation. And uh, the program director, um, uh, Ross McDonald, gives me a call. And he says, hey, I'm going to be in Brattleboro. Why don't you meet me and we'll have lunch? Dave assumes that, you know, this important state transportation official just wants to come and pick his brain. But before the lunch is over, McDonald asks Dave. So how many hours a week do you think you can do this? And I'm like, do what? (laughs) He said, you know, work for us. You know, we can sign a contract. And I'm like... What are you talking about? And uh, finally he says, yeah, well, you know, I'll call you and we'll work things out. And he leaves because he has to go to another meeting. And I'm just sitting there, like, looking out, staring out the window, like, what what happened? If you live somewhere like New York, California, Illinois, I'll give you a moment to pick up your jaw off the floor. Okay? I mean, Vermont's definitely got its own issues, but apparently this is how, you know, creative new Policy ideas can get done in a smaller state. It can be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we set up this idea that I can provide consultations for Vermonters. For local people, we can do in-person consultations. People can try out bikes. I'm in touch with the bike shops. I know, you know, what people are carrying or just knowing the, the different brands. And, when, and people come to me for, you know, they want the bike that fits their lifestyle, their terrain, the range that they're going to be using. Are they going to be carrying their kids, cargo, you know, whatever. But pretty quickly, Dave realizes, you know, e-bikes are expensive. And if V-Bike and the state of Vermont want more people riding them, then they need to come up with ways to make them more affordable. Uh, One of the first things we uh, did was contacting uh, a a credit union, the Vermont State Employees Credit Union, and they attached their V-Green loans to bikes and and electric assist options. So that was the first thing, you know, get low-interest loans set so people can at least get a loan. The low-interest loans make it possible for Vermonters to pay for electric bikes you know, in relatively affordable monthly payments rather than having to pay the entire cost up front. In other words, people can get financing for e-bikes just like they get financing for cars. 
then the next step was like, I mean, really, we need subsidies. We need, the state should be paying people just to get these bikes, particularly cargo bikes, you know. But to get the state to do something like that, that's a huge hurdle. In 2015, the state of Vermont adopted a sweeping set of new renewable energy standards. And these standards require electricity utility companies to hit carbon emission reduction targets in a variety of ways, including providing Vermonters with you know, cash rebates for upgrading their, their home hot water heater or for purchasing an electric car, for more efficient appliances. They also included a provision for replacing fossil fuels with electricity. And so that set up this whole thing where all of a sudden, certainly electric cars, electric buses, electric trucks, but electric bikes would totally fit in. So Dave teamed up with Vermont's statewide bicycle pedestrian advocacy organization, Local Motion, and began approaching the state's electric utility companies to talk about e-bikes. And we hammered out this idea of uh, the Burlington Electric Department offering a $200 rebate for electric bikes based on this you know, provision that is now you know, part of state law. And then that idea then spread around Vermont, and now the largest utility, Green Mountain Power, is offering uh, a $300 rebate. And there's two other utilities. That covers a good 90% of, of Vermont uh, with these four utilities offering uh, these rebates. Probably these rebates and financing deals have made the bikes more available in local shops too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it gets the bike shops really excited. And a lot of those people, you know, went through a V-bike consultation. Um, And some of them didn't because, you know, just the flywheel starts turning. More people start doing it. It becomes normalized. And people go, oh, I could do that too. Why don't you try it out? It's just like, oh, this is a no-brainer. I can do this. I can climb those hills. I can carry my kids. Um, I don't have to lug a 3,000-pound box around with me all the time. So V-Bike's been up and running for about six years. What's been its impact? What what has it accomplished? Well, the rebates I mean, has been just this year and probably uh, over 500 rebates uh, processed. Uh, the bike shops are all carrying electric bikes. And we've got, you know, at least, I don't know, 40 cargo bikes in, in Brattleboro alone, and I'm hoping that's going to double next year. Uh, Burlington's got a whole bunch, you know, probably over, way over 100. Some of V-Bike's accomplishments can be quantified. Others are less tangible. Talking to Dave and my e-bike riding softball teammates, it was the intangible benefits that really stood out the most. Here's Todd again. It felt, you know, invigorating, it's a kind of sense of, like, a little bit of, like, liberation, like, not relying on my car for this. And Sueño and five-year-old Autumn Rose. She can feel me. Like, when we're on the bike, we're, we're more connected. And it's very obvious that she's more connected to the trip. And she can see, she's getting a picture of where we live. Like, the sense of place is so much clearer when we're riding on the bike. Did you know that actually when I'm on the bike... I can touch pretty much everything that I'm close enough. And I can also snuggle Mama. And KJ. Yeah, biking around has absolutely changed my perspective, really, on just the world in general. Like, it, everything goes by so quickly when you're in a car. You know, you, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm connected to the world at all. Like, I'm kind of in a bubble, really. And then when I'm out on my bike, like, I'm waving at people, I'm saying good day. You know, just... 
just being out, like, I, I feel connected. I feel like I'm in community. Sure. V-Bike was putting more electric assist bicycles on Vermont's roads and in people's garages. And it seemed to be proving that, in fact, there might be a way to win the war on cars in small town, rural, and suburban America. But there is more happening here than just transportation. Liberation, connection, community, snuggles. These are not the words that come up when people describe how they feel when they're commuting by car. Before I finish with Dave, I just wanted to get back to that camping trip that he was talking about when he first arrived at my house down in the village. You and your family recently went on a camping trip and you drove there. You said you didn't you didn't ride your your e-bikes like you often do. Yeah, how did that feel? How did that feel to to drive in a car and go off on a camping trip in a car? I loved it and it sucked. We used the car and um and I usually pay for it in the end, you know, or even in the beginning. I don't feel well for the first day. Uh, and then coming back, I usually feel disoriented. Uh, but that's just me. So you're saying you literally feel kind of physically ill from or emotionally ill from being in a car? Uh, yeah, I often I feel really kind of sickened. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you know, I realize that, you know, we're going to do it. We have to do it. I don't even know what that means. Uh, uh, but uh, at some level, you know, I'm at one level, I'm totally, you know, I am fine with it. Another level, I'm totally not fine with it. Cognitive dissonance, baby. But I mean, so what? So what? You weren't perfectly connected with this 50 miles of space between Brattleboro and your campsite. Like, do you really have to be connected to every inch of wildlife that you traverse? Is this like a, a tease the eco-psychologist uh, session? Uh, <laughs> um, um, yes. The answer is yes, because um, we are so habituated to uh, being disconnected. Um, and even though, you know, it's complex, it brings me to a place that I can really enjoy and love and hear the sound of a loon and uh, go bird watching and, and do some magical things. It's also laced with, you know, something else. It gives us this immense power to go distant, but sacrifices our sense of the local. That's what all technologies do that. They tend to extend us in ways that we understand, and they impoverish us in ways that usually we're completely blind to, blind spots. Too much time this? Yeah, we should, we should, it's a, Almost six. Oh, yeah. We should head down the hill. Yeah, I mean, that's good. I got plenty. Hours. I got two hours of stuff here. Actually, let's just take one second and let me just get some background noise for 30 seconds. That plane is kind of fucking it up. Yeah, yeah. We've got this... <laughs> wood thrush back here and it's like fluty sound is that what that is a wood thrush yeah it's our state bird yeah oh, it's such a nice sound oh it's the best yeah I, lo I love listening to them you hear a whole bunch of them together it's just like it's fluty like and that's it for this episode of the war on cars thank you so much for listening if you want to learn more about dave cohen and his work at v-bike the website is vbikesolutions.org we'll post it in the show notes 
even though we now have some sponsors, we still mostly depend on the support of listeners like you. So please go to thewaroncars.org, click become a Patreon supporter, pitch in a few dollars to the war effort, and we will send you stickers and t-shirts and the occasional surprise treat. And, you know, we really, we really couldn't produce this podcast without your help. Speaking of which, thanks to our top Patreon sponsors, the law office of Vaccaro and White in New York, Charlie G of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, Drew Rains and Virginia Baker. Don't forget, you can get 20% off on Cleverhood's new Rover Rain Cape and all of their other products. Go to cleverhood.com slash war on cars, enter coupon code war on cars when you check out to get that 20% discount. Now, as a general policy, you should not be taking fashion advice from me, but make an exception in this case, Cleverhood makes great rain gear for biking and walking. If you have gotten this far, then you either fell asleep or you really like this podcast. And if you are a member of the latter category, then please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You have something to say? Send us an email, thewaroncars at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The War on Cars. This episode was produced by me, Aaron Napperstack. Editing, sound design, and additional production by Ali Lemer. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. On behalf of my co-host Sarah Goodyear and Doug Gordon, I am Aaron Napperstack, and this is The War on Cars. But let this be a lesson, Mr. Wheeler. Drive safely. Play fair. Give the other fellow a break, and... Ah, shut up! <laughs>